0: Good morning, everybody. Where were you in 1988? Some of you are looking back at me and saying I wasn't even born. (laughs) In 1988, I was an 18 year old police cadet. And as part of my training, I was taken on one of these outward bound courses. And we're taken to the top of this steep rock face, 40, 50 metres high. And the instructors say, today we're going to abseil. (laughs) I'm not great with heights. I've got little confidence, but I've also got little choice. Because we're doing it, because that's what you did. And the instructors show us all the necessary equipment. The ropes, the carabiner clips, the harnesses, the safety, um, the safety helmets. Everything looks in good order, but I still need convincing. My confidence is not great at this point. Until one of the instructors who has abseiled hundreds of times gives us a full demonstration of what we need to do and says, trust the equipment and trust me. And one by one we do that thing that they get you to do when you abseil is they harness you all up and everything and they get you to slowly lean back over the side, don't they? And you're holding on for dear life. And then they say, take your hands away and put them out to the side and it's the last thing you want to do because all that's holding you up is a small metal clip and a bit of rope going through it. But I've watched this instructor do it. and I'm convinced that I will be fine. And my confidence, despite still having fears, starts to grow. So much so that by the end of the day, all of us were running, not backwards, but forwards, SAS style, down this 40 meter uh, rock face, which actually I strangely preferred than going backwards. because I could see where I was going and I got to the bottom a lot quicker. maybe you can think of a situation in your own life maybe where you've learned a new skill tried a new sport or even started a new job where your confidence to start with is not that great but under close and careful instruction you were convinced that you could do this and as a result your confidence grew Well today we're starting a new series on confidence, but it's not about self-confidence. This is not a self-help guide. It's about faith confidence. It's about growing confidence in who God is. Now in theory, we all know we can be confident in our faith. And when we're gathered together as Christians in a situation like this, we can feel full of confidence. We stand side by side, as we've done this morning, singing our songs, ministering to one another, encouraging one another, blessing one another. But when daily life hits, often our confidence takes a hit too. We find ourselves outside of this gathering of like-minded people, where the challenges of everyday life can strike at the heart of our faith confidence. Now, I'm going to confess something now that some of you already know. It's not a big thing, but I'm a Norwich City supporter. (laughs) Now, I support them because that's where I grew up. They were my local team. That's where my dad took me. That is who I support and have done ever since. I have my membership. I have my scarf. I have my shirt. I meet up with my friends and I go to matches. One thing you might not know about Norwich City is they actually lay claim to the fact that they have the oldest football song in the world, and I sing it with pride. (laughs) I haven't got a clue what it means, but I sing it. Look it up. And I'm full of confidence when I'm sitting around thousands of people that are like-minded and supporting the same team. A couple of years ago, Norwich were playing at West Ham. Away, And a good friend of mine said, would you like to come? I've got a spare ticket, but it's in the home end. I did accept it because I wanted to go and see Norwich play, but I knew it wasn't going to be easy. I'm sitting with thousands of opposing fans. I cannot wear my shirt, I cannot wear my scarf, In fact, my friend said, do you want to borrow a West Ham shirt? I said, no, thank you very much. I politely mumbled the words to I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles and then proceeded to sit on my hands and politely got out of my seat when West Ham scored. Fortunately, only twice. But my confidence in that situation was minimal. I was no less convinced by my team, but I was not confident to be who wanted to be in that situation. And in the Christian life, we're singing our hallelujahs on a Sunday in full confidence with those around us. Like me being with my fellow Norwich fans in the home end. But the reality is that on Monday, or even later today, or even maybe now in your spirit, you can feel like we're going to get thrown back into situations where we feel actually like we're the lone supporter in the away in, in, the, in, the opposite, in the end of the opposite team. And our confidence comes under fire from all sorts of things: health situations, family concerns, fears, worries, work. And the Sunday confidence becomes Monday's concerns. And that confidence that we hold here can become diminished or diluted. How can we be confident in the world when we're scattered in the same way we can be confident when we're gathered? Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at how we can have confidence through community, through consistency, through courage, and through celebration. But today we're going to look. At confidence through being convinced. If you've got a Bible or you've got some means of looking up uh, our verses this morning, let's go to Romans 8, we're going to start at verse 31, and the words will come up on the screen as well so you can follow it. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Paul, who wrote these words, is confident because he is convinced. In verse 38 and 39, he says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. The word Paul uses here for convinced means to be persuaded, to trust entirely. But it wasn't always this way. Years earlier, this same man, Paul, was persecuting and having followers of Jesus imprisoned and approving of their deaths. But one day, Paul came face to face with Jesus. He had the original Damascus Road experience. And that encounter transformed his life. And Jesus is still transforming lives today. Paul's confidence was in the gospel of Jesus. He was convinced by the power and victory of God found in it. Gospel means good news. And what is this good news that Paul was so confident in? Christine read earlier, and we have not spoken about what I was going to say this morning other than just a few brief things. Christine read John 3 16. And that's our starting point this morning. Because the good news is this. You can just have the slide, uh, please. Ben, thank you. The good news is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal lives, uh, eternal life. They're familiar words to many of us, but maybe not to all. And you know, sometimes well-known verses can lose their impact a little bit as if we know them so well. And a few years ago, I came across something that really helped me to see this verse in a new way. And it's called the greatest. And if we can have the next slide, please, Ben. Thank you we have God, the greatest giver, who so loved, the greatest motivation, the world, the greatest need, that he gave, the greatest act, his one and only son, the greatest gift, that whoever, the greatest invitation, believes in him, the greatest simplicity. Shall not perish, the greatest promise, but have eternal life, the greatest possession. You see, God, the creator of all things, brings about a world that's perfect and beautiful. All that he creates is good, and he brings about human life. And there's this wonderful relationship at the beginning between God and humankind. He has a love beyond all measure for us. We are his world. Men and women, though, have decided that they can do without God. And in doing so, the world becomes a broken and sinful place. But God doesn't just stand by and watch. He's in the business of restoring us. And he gives the gift of his son, Jesus, who enters our broken world and gives up his life on a cross for all our wrongdoing. And then is raised from death to show that he is powerful over all things and to wipe out everything that stood between us and God and restore us to him. And he says, right in the middle there, it is for whoever. Every one of us falls into that word. Whoever whoever believes in Jesus Christ shall not perish, but share eternity in heaven when this earthly life is finished. Paul was convinced by the gospel of Jesus Christ and was confident in it. This is what Paul was confident in. And for many of us, we are convinced by this wonderful good news. And because we're convinced, we've responded to it and we're confident in it. And now, of course, life will be trouble-free and one day we will all go to heaven. But that's not true, is it? Because life won't be trouble-free. It wasn't true for Paul and it isn't true for us. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's going to be tough sometimes. You see, the enemy wants to undermine our conviction and steal our confidence. He wants us to metaphorically sit on our hands and murmur, I'm forever blowing bubbles, (laughs) rather than singing the God song that's truly In our hearts. Paul faced all sorts of pain, difficulties and trials as a follower of Jesus Christ and so will we but if we are convinced of the love of God it will lead us to confidence in his incomparable character and his great promises. Paul's words here in Romans help us immensely to be convinced by the gospel And by the love of God for us. And in the passage we've read, we get four questions that all begin with the the word who. And every single one of those questions has the same answer. Question one in verse 31 If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer to that question is no one. If we are in Christ, then God is for us. And we know that God is for us because of the cross. The cross proves it. If God would do the immeasurable and incomparable act of sending his son into the world to rescue mankind, will he not also care for us in our struggles and our pain? Imagine you've paid thousands of pounds for a holiday, and you drive to the airport, and you haven't pre-booked your parking, and you find it's going to cost you £100 to park. Are you going to abandon your holiday? Absolutely not. You've paid a huge price. You're not now going to let that go. And so it is with God. He's paid the biggest price. He's given all of himself. He's shown how much he loves us. Is he now going to let us down? Is he going to let something else come against us? Paul says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? We have to be a little bit careful here because Paul is not saying we'll have everything we want. But what he is saying is that God will provide what is necessary to bring us through life and become more like Jesus. And so some of those things we we have to contend with even those God is using to shape us and to show that he can bring us through and in the process, making us more into the image of Jesus. You see, the enemy doesn't want us to believe that. And the enemy will come with his Garden of Eden tactics saying, does God really say that no one can stand against you? When we're convinced that God is on our side, we can be confident in him that he will see us through every ounce of pain and struggle we face. Question number two. Who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? Answer, no one. Because those who are in Christ are declared righteous. We have a right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and no one can take that away. The enemy will try and bring us down, try and make us doubt it, especially when we get things wrong. But listen to these words of an old hymn. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, Up would I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. When we're convinced of our right standing with God, we can have confidence to point to the cross and say, Jesus made me right with God. Question three, who is he that condemns? No prizes for guessing what the answer is, no one, no one. You know, we might be tempted to condemn ourselves, Or again, the enemy may try and condemn us. Tell us that we are guilty. But Paul says in verse 1 of Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. There is one who could condemn us, Jesus himself, but he doesn't. Do you remember that story of Jesus when the the woman was brought to him? Some religious leaders found a woman caught in adultery and bring this woman to Jesus and say, Jesus, the law says we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus turns to them and looks them in the eye and says, If one of you is without sin, you cast the first stone. And one by one, they drift away. Until it's just Jesus and the woman. And Jesus turns to the woman and he says, Woman, has anyone condemned you? No, sir, she says. And Jesus says, neither do I. Neither do I condemn you but go and leave your life of sin. When we are convinced that we are not condemned, we have confidence that we are set free. I've been in plenty of courts over my career, past career that is, And once a judge returns a not guilty verdict, that's it. That is it. No defendant that I've ever seen that's been told not guilty has ever stood up in front of a judge and said, I think you got it wrong. (laughs) And God declares us not guilty. No condemnation. No condemnation. So we don't jump up and say, God, I think you got it wrong. Final question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. You know, Paul lists all sorts of things that he's faced. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness. He also mentions the sword as the one thing he hadn't faced himself but was coming his way, although he didn't know it at the time. And we could translate this list to those things that we may also be facing, our own daily concerns for family, the pressure of life, verbal abuse for our faith or the risk of repercussions if we are open because of it. Now, if we're facing some of these things, does it mean that God doesn't love us? Absolutely not. Jesus said in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Paul wants us to deeply know the love of God for us and to know that through him, we will see victory over our struggles and challenges. He uses this phrase, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We'll not just be victorious, we're going to be super victorious over these things. And then he finishes in verses 38 and 39 by saying, I am convinced that nothing, not death, life, angels, demons, the present, the future, nor any powers, height or depth, or anything in all creation." will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Death will not separate us from the love of God. In life, we will not be separated from the love of God. No angel, no demon, nothing today and nothing tomorrow. No power, no Person that is in power anywhere else in this world that is doing things that are clearly not right. No height or depth will separate us from the love of God. And just in case we came back with a, yeah, but what if, Paul says, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the Psalms, we read, where can I go to get away from your presence? If I go up to the heights, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. If I go to the far side of the sea, you're there. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. And Paul is so convinced of God's inseparable love, you can see, sense the confidence he has and we too can own that confidence. So where does this leave us? Let me bring a couple of practical applications to what we've thought about this morning. It's clear that we'll all deal with some hard and challenging times. And as I look across this congregation, I know that some of you are going through some difficult things right now. And we all will at some point. And I'm there right now. But you know, it's not a case of muddling through and hoping for the best. It's living in the confidence that comes from being convinced By the love of God. The other morning I was out for a run and um, I I turned up uh, Crown Road if any of you know it and if you know Crown Road you know that you don't walk on the pavement in Crown Road you walk in the middle of the road it's a a funny street but there was some there was a newer person to Billericay who comes to this church not going to identify them they were walking on the pavement. And they're walking down, and I'm running in the other direction. I didn't even see them, I didn't initially, and I heard I heard um, this person say to the person they were with, oh, there's Roger. And then I heard this voice shout, keep going, Roger. I must have looked rubbish running. <laughs> must have been like, I must have been going. <gasps> yeah, keep going, Roger. Three words. What they were doing was encouraging me in my run. But a few moments later what I heard deep in my spirit was God say to me, keep going Roger, you're going to get through this time because I've got you and nothing but nothing is going to separate you from my love. And perhaps some of you need to hear that this morning. Keep going. You're going to get through this because I've got you. I read some words of an old hymn. I'm now going to just read some words of a beautiful song by Philippa Hanna. And I'd encourage you to go and listen to this song if you can. It is absolutely uh, stunning in its words. So just take these on for a moment. When all foundations have been shaken, when I'm left standing in the dark, and all I feel is my heart breaking, you still reign and you're still God. And when it feels all hope has faded and the heavy questions hit so hard, and though my soul may feel forsaken, you still reign and you're still God. Though I can't see what's before me, I know I can trust your heart and this one truth will be my story. You still reign and you're still God. I will declare that you are with me, though voices whisper that you're not. You'll never leave me nor forsake me because you still reign and you're still God. Though I can't see what's before me, I know that I can trust your heart and this one truth will be my story. You still reign and you're still God. And when my enemies surround me, I trust the victory of your cross and fix my eyes upon you, Jesus, for you are God and I am not. You are good and you are faithful, as you have been from the start. You're working all things for your glory because you still reign and you're still God. Not only can we be convinced to know the confidence that God's love gives us in times of difficulty, but we can also be convinced and know God's power giving us confidence to live for Jesus Christ In the world when we're out of this comfort of being together and I just want to share something with you it's a story that some of you know but a few years ago when I was still in the police I went with a group of people up to Scotland to look at a project there we were staying in Glasgow Glasgow at the time was one of the most violent cities in Europe And we went out and we looked at this project because we were away we were taken out for a meal and uh, we're in this curry house and there's around about 20 of us. There's lots of drinking and there's lots of um, well, eating obviously because we're in a restaurant going on. But towards the end of the meal, one of the local fellas said, oh, um, there's a strip club up the road, why don't we go there? My heart sank. I was convinced of what I needed to do in that situation and as we walked out I said "Uh, I'm not coming with you and I knew that I potentially would face ridicule for it I said I'm not it's not for me I'm not coming with you I was convinced of what God would want me to do in that situation and I said no I'm not going now, I had no idea where I was, I didn't know where the hotel was. And, uh, I, but I just started down the road towards where the, the general direction, of what looked like the middle of, middle of the city, I'm, I must be heading roughly in the right direction. And as I walked away and my colleagues went in the other direction, I suddenly heard footsteps behind me. And then I heard, Roger. And I turned around and there was one of my colleagues and he said, I'm coming with you because I didn't want to go either. I knew that I had to honour Jesus in that situation. I was convinced that that was the right thing to do and being convinced gave me the confidence to walk away from that situation even though there was that risk of ridicule, because I knew the love of God would keep me no matter what. Now, I don't tell that story for you to say, oh, how wonderful you are and what you did. I tell it because I want you to know that you can have that same confidence. You can, if you're convinced of what you know God would have you do in a certain situation, you can have the confidence he'll see you through and maybe you've got a challenging situation that you're facing, and you know you need to do the right thing. Be convinced that the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit will enable you and bring you through it, however difficult it may seem. There is nothing but nothing but nothing that can separate us from the love of God. May we grow in our conviction and may that conviction give us confidence to live for Jesus Christ, not just here, but also when we're in the away end, or when we're in the home end as an away supporter, when we're out there in the world. Let's be convinced and full of confidence in the inseparable love of God. And as our response this morning, we're going to move into a time of communion. This table represents the unmatchable confidence that Paul had, that we've considered this morning. Communion reminds us of the confidence we can have in the fact that Jesus Christ, the son of the creator, living God, gave his very life on a cross. And we can know that nothing can stand against us. I repeat a verse again that Christine read earlier. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. This is a table that reminds us that if we are in Christ we can have confidence that we have a right standing with God. It's a table that says if you are in Christ you can be confident that there is no condemnation and also it reminds us, reminds us that there is also no separation from the love of God. Romans 8:1 says "There's no condemnation." And Romans 8:39 ends, "There is no separation." This is a table for those who have recognized their need for Jesus Christ, and through faith have put their trust in Him. Maybe you're sitting here this morning. You've never, ever done that. Well, here's an opportunity. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if this prayer makes sense to you or you sense this morning that you want to respond by saying, God, I want some of that inseparable love. I want to know Jesus. Then repeat this prayer in your heart. But for all of us, let's let's think about these words and what God has done for us. So we pray together. God, thank you for loving me despite my failings and my wrongdoings and for turning my back on you. Thank you, Jesus, that you died that I might have forgiveness and a new start. I declare today I believe in you. Enough of the old me. I want to live for you, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit and with confidence in all your promises. Amen.